Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the pleasure of introducing you to one of my new friends who lives close to me, so I'm so excited, Haley Fuchs. So Haley, say hello to the listeners. Hello, listeners. My name is Haley, and I am super excited to be here today. Well, I'm really glad that we um, were able to get connected to record. So <laughs> listeners were, um, Haley is super busy. So she's going to talk a lot about, about what she has been doing with her books and, and promotion. But we're kind of all in a hyenas right now. And so I was lucky enough to get her to record with me because of the hyenas. And I'm sure we all know what that is. It's the COVID virus. <laughs> so, pros and cons, pros and cons. Yeah, so there is some. So Haley, first share with our listeners what state in uh, the Pacific Northwest you live in. So I live in Washington state and I'm in Southwest Washington in the Longview Kelso area. So yeah, but I've been, I've lived all over Washington. I've been, I went to school at Washington state university, which is out on the East side. And I've lived up in Seattle for five years, which is, you know, North of where I'm at now. So I've been kind of all over and I do a lot of traveling too. So I've gotten to see pretty much everywhere in the Pacific Northwest. And we, I can say Without any doubt, we live in the best part of the country. I'm just going to bring it up here. <laughs> I agree 100%. And I, all my listeners know that I will plug the Pacific Northwest, except don't move here. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> we love it. Um, so are you a native Washingtonian? I am. Yep. Hey, there's very few of us. <laughs> yeah, I'm from a really small town. It's called Kalama. So it's oh, just yeah. right next to here, Longview yeah. and Kelso. Yeah, one of my favorite places, um, the Kalama Lodge, which is not open right now, is one of my husband's my favorite places to go um, uh, because it's just literally down the highway, like 10 minutes. It's not, no, when it's open. <laughs> yeah, when it's open. Yeah, it's, and that is just brand new. And that's actually, that's right along the Columbia River where um, I used to walk that trail every oh. single day and like plan out my books. So if you have oh, okay. anyone on this podcast ever goes to that lodge, look outside and see that trail and think of me and did, I, maybe I'll be there. Maybe I'll walk by. I don't know. <laughs> Haley, did you see that they extended the beach out there? I did. It's just gorgeous. Is it? Okay, yeah, so- they They've put some good, like really good work into that area lately. It's been awesome. And so all of my new photos that we did in the wintertime um, on my website and that I've been using for, for all my social media, we took uh, quite a few of them on the new beach right in front of the Kalama Lodge because oh, it was wow. just perfect. So oh. I'm a Kalama Lodge fan and I love that walk. So you guys, if you're listening and you haven't gone um, right now, you right now you probably can't go and eat at the lodge, <laughs> but take that walk. It's a beautiful walk. It's yep. really, it's right on the river. It's gorgeous so so there okay no more plugging Washington <laughs> you all right all right I'm okay. no, just kidding <laughs> yeah um I love I love Washington too and I love the Northwest I've done lots and lots and lots of traveling in my life too with my husband and with music and stuff but um we have stayed in the Northwest because we love it mm-hmm. <laughs> so That's much to be it really is so share with us and on the listeners that don't I mean I don't know if they're going to know much about you so you mm-hmm. said that you went to uh university and then um are you a full-time author now have you always been a full-time author author kind of give us that little journey. Yeah. So that journey. So, um, I'll just kind of start at the beginning. I actually started writing my first book when I was 12 and it's secrets of the tally. And it's the one, it is the series that I am still on now, 16 years later. I love it. Um, And so I knew my whole life I wanted to be an author. And so I went to school at Washington state university, knowing that's what I wanted. Um, but I wanted to be a realist. I wanted to be realistic about it. And I knew that you could not 
necessarily count on that being your full-time job right out of college. And so I went to school and got a marketing degree because I figured, you know, honestly, anybody in the world can learn to write a book. You don't need a degree that tells you you can write, but not everyone can sell a book. And so I wanted, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so I wanted that marketing degree, A, so I could sell the books. I knew I wanted to be an author, but B, because I knew I was going to have to have a day job and having that business degree I felt was going to help me get that day job. Yeah. Yeah. So I came out of college in 2013 and I went into banking and As a creative type, that was extremely difficult for me. And I was in banking for five years as I got my book dream up and off the ground and going. And I I actually have like a crazy long story. I don't know how much of it you want to hear. Oh, you can Um, share as much as you want. I love these stories (laughs) because I have a lot of um, authors and also people that are wanting to write. Uh-huh. The podcast. And so these stories are inspiring. Plus they're inspiring to me because I'm still, I still have a day job. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So, and I'm, it's just the reality of it. You have to have one when you're getting started out. Mm-hmm. So I was at the bank for five years while I got this off the ground. Um, but I had a lot of people along the way who I like talked to anytime there was an author within like 50 miles of me, I would say, <laughs> listen, we got to have copy. I need to know everything, you know? Yeah. So We'd sit down and we'd have coffee and I would ask them, like, how did you get published? How do I get published? What is the secret? And what, what I finally, what somebody sat me down and told me was, Haley, you have to go to a writer's conference. And I was in college at the time. And I was like, oh, Jane, writer's conferences are like $500 to get into. Exactly. They're very spendy. They're extremely (laughs) expensive. And I'm a college student. So like, I was like, Jane, this is not going to happen. And she's like, well, listen, you know, you keep sending these query letters to agents, but it's not the same as sitting down face to face with them. You will keep sending letters for the next 10 years, Haley. And then you'll go to a conference and you'll look back and go, why didn't I just do this 10 years ago? Because she said, Hmm. that is the way you get the agent is you sit down face to face, you get to meet them. They get to know more than just the book. They get to know you too. Mm -hmm. So she kind of talked me into it. And so I worked at McDonald's at the time. I worked at McDonald's during the summers and I worked as a writing tutor during the school year because I was putting myself through college. And so for me to save up $500 $500 was a pretty big deal. Um, and also I, my first conference was going to be in New York. So okay. I had to save up <laughs> not only the conference fee, right. Yeah, but then yeah. I had to save up enough for the plane ticket and the hotel. And this is a complete side story, but I ended up, I, you know, I didn't have a lot of money. So I ended up staying in the scariest hostel you've ever seen in your whole <laughs> life. I like, I go to check in and there's bars on the windows and the man at the front desk and I'm putting air quotes around front desk. He's like covered head to toe in tattoos. I was like, I'm here to check in. (laughs) I'm scared. (laughs) Oh, it was, it was very scary, but I was able to go to my first conference. That's awesome. Haley. I love it. (laughs) So, so I went to the first conference and, um, I ended up getting a couple of requests from editors who, uh, it was Penguin and Simon and Schuster, you know, you've got those big five Mm -hmm. publishers. They were actually really interested in the book. And so then I went to another conference, um, which was like right around the same time I'd signed up for two of them. And this one was actually in more of the Seattle area and they had a contest that I ended up winning. So oh. if you want, yeah, so it was actually really cool. So not only the winner gets $700, which was a awesome because that was going to pay for like all the conference fees that exactly. I just yeah. signed up for. Right. But also you got to go to this after party with agents and editors oh, and you just, great. it was just everyone hanging out, kicking back and chatting about books and publishing and every single agent who I talked to at that conference, I got, I like 
every single one of them wanted the book and not just like a couple chapters. They were like, send us the whole thing. We're all super interested. So I had kind of this battle, but it was the most exciting thing ever for who wanted the book because I'd won the competition. So I ended up signing with an agent later that year. It was, which was the most exciting thing ever because I had been trying to get an agent for years and years and years up until the point where someone forced me to go to a conference. Yeah. Now I finally got my agent and it was so exciting and she's pitching the books to places like, so I'll kind of recap if anyone on this podcast isn't familiar with the way that once you have an agent, it works. It's almost the same as when you were trying to get an agent. So when, when authors try to get an agent, everybody writes a letter to that same agent. It's like, please represent me. This is what my book is about. This is why I think you should like it. And so those agents now almost have to do that same process for the publishers. Yeah. They have to pitch it to the publishers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they're all kind of competing with each other for those publishers attention. So they send a letter to the publisher or, you know, they meet or however it is they do it. And the publisher says, okay, I'm interested. This sounds kind of cool. And then they send them the whole book. So I had places that my agent was sending the books to, and it was like Penguin. It was Simon and Schuster. The one that I was the most excited about though was Disney. So my agent, I know. Right. So I'm envisioning like, like the Disney channel original series when it comes yeah. out and the Disney movie and, and like Disney what, characters in Disneyland. Right. Yes. And what my ride's going to look like at the That's theme exactly. park. When it comes out. Yeah. So I'm like seeing all the stars. Right. And I get, I get the call from my agent. It's I, she says, we've got to talk and I get the call and I'm like, okay, like what's the news? And she goes, well, our agency's actually closing down. And so they shut, this was, this was crazy. They had been in business for 20 plus years, but the owner was retiring and they just kind of dropped all their clients. Oh, that's they, horrifying. Yeah. And so I had gone from like, so excited, so close to the top of like maybe having that Disney deal all the way back down to, I'm a writer without an agent. I'm back to sending letters. And I just, I was so burned at that point. I was like, wow. I'm not doing this again. Yeah. And one of my big reasons was just the timing. I had at that point probably been working on it 10 years or it was about 10 years. Yeah. And yeah. I just couldn't go through it again. The, it would probably take another year or two to get another agent, another year or two for them to pitch the book, and then another year or two for it to come out. And I was just, yeah. I was I was done at that point. And yeah. so what I decided to do was to self-publish. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do self-publishing a little bit different than mm-hmm. most people. I actually have almost no ebook presence really at all. I don't focus on ebooks really whatsoever. This is kind of an approach for those who aren't feeling like ebooks are their strength. This is how I do it is um, I do something called a Kickstarter campaign every year. Okay. I'm good. I'm glad you're going to talk about this because I think this is a really valuable uh, marketing kind of technique that maybe not everybody knows about. It absolutely is. And that's exactly how you should view it too, is as a marketing technique. Mm -hmm. So um, what Kickstarter is for anybody who doesn't know is it's basically like a big pre-sale campaign, but it's got this name Kickstarter attached to it, which most people know what that is and can kind of identify with it. So what it is, is think like crowdfunding, something like GoFundMe, Mm -hmm. where you put your project onto Kickstarter and then you have a month to raise whatever it is you need for your goal. So you have to go in and set a goal. You say, I need $5,000 to print my book. But here's what sets Kickstarter apart from something like GoFundMe or other crowdsourcing campaigns is Kickstarter is all or nothing. So if you go in with a $5,000 goal and you don't hit it, if you make $4,992, you actually get nothing at all. So everybody, yeah, work that you could put into it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you have to get like, you have to be pretty confident that it's going to work. And one of the things I caution people about is everybody kind of thinks they could just throw a project on Kickstarter and then all these random people will come and fund it. And it is absolutely not that way at all. Mm -hmm. The only people who will get on your Kickstarter campaigns are your friends, your family, your social media network. It Mm -hmm. is the people that you bring to the platform. Mm -hmm. Kickstarter is really only there as a marketing tool, as something that you can tell everybody, we have 30 days to raise this amount of money. And that gets people excited. You know, they want to be a part of that. And one of the things that I offer in all of my Kickstarter campaigns is everybody who buys in that Kickstarter phase, they get their name printed in the back of the book. Oh, that's so, super cool. Yeah, because they're they're actually just ordering a book six months early and I'm using that pre-sale money to print the book. Oh, okay. So it comes out like six months after they've ordered if we hit the campaign goal. But if we don't hit the goal, nothing ever pulls off of their cards. So everyone comes and pledges and says, I want a book for $25. And then if we can add that all up and sell enough books at $25 that we get to 5,000, then the project is funded. Everybody like the money pulls off their cards and then I get to make my books, which is really exciting. Um, But Kickstarters fail all the time. Oh yeah. That's what I've heard. And I think that's why people are afraid of them. It is. And it's, it's actually very terrifying because it, especially if you get close, you know how it's, it's kind of hard to come back to all your backers, all your friends and family and be like, Hey, remember that book you ordered? You never actually paid for it. It, uh, You're going to have to order it again. It just, I have never failed one. I was going to say, have you failed one yet? (laughs) No, I have not. I have done four of them now. And I believe I have another two coming up this year, actually, since COVID has kind of thrown a wrench into everything else I can do. Kickstarter is one of the only things left that I can still do. And so I'm actually going to do two of them this year. Um, but with my very first one, it was super scary because I, I went in with that $5,000 goal. And, and my advantage was that for the last 11 years of my life, everybody who had ever met me knew that this was my goal. This was my dream that I've been working so hard for it. And so I put in the work. Let me tell you something like they do not just show up and fund your campaign. I was up before work every single morning. I'd get up at like 530. I'd go to Starbucks and I'd get on my computer and I would just email everyone I'd ever known. And I'd say, hey, I know that if you've known me at all in the last 11 years, you know about this project. You know how much it means to me. If you'd like to buy a book, you can in the next 30 days between May 1st and May something. It was in 2015 or are there 31 days in May? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. We'll just say there are. <laughs> yeah. So, so my listeners will look up and find out. And I know, know right? There really wasn't. Big <laughs> I didn't want to just say it and have it wrong. <laughs> and be like, Haley doesn't know what <laughs> um, But so for the month of May in 2015, everyone got together and bought their books. And at the end of it, I was, I came out at about $7,000. Oh, and that's I, fantastic. Oh, it was so exciting. And you know, the reason I decided to do that, um, and this kind of touches on a different point outside of Kickstarter, is I didn't. I print on demand is an amazing service, and for anyone who's not familiar with what it is, that's just basically where you set your book up on Amazon, and anyone who wants to buy it at Amazon just prints the books one at a time and mails them out. Mm-hmm. So. 
those books, there is nothing wrong with them. They are perfectly good books. They look very, like they're very decent, but I think decent is about the extent of how I would describe them. Mm-hmm. And after 11 years of working on this project, I was not about to settle for decent. I wanted the best quality physically possible. I wanted silver letters. I wanted embossing. I wanted dust jackets. I wanted hard, like hard. It is your baby books. and it's going to be fantastic. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Yes. I know this feeling. That's why I'm in such a state of, I don't know where I'm going right now mm-hmm. because when my first story finally comes out, it, I can't settle for just nothing, you know, right. little minimal. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and so print on demand is great for a lot of people because it opens up publishing to literally everyone. Anybody who has written anything can publish a book on Amazon. But everybody then, can publish yeah. a book. And there's a yeah. backside to that of not everybody should be publishing. That is absolutely the truth. But yeah, it really is. And it, it has put a really tough stigma on self-publishers mm-hmm. because there's so much garbage there. There yeah. truly is, you know, not all, not all print on demand books are garbage, but a lot of them are yeah. because anyone can do it, but you know, it, it's, it's good for a lot of people. But for me, I wanted my silver letters more than anything. And you can't <laughs> get that with print on demand. You have to print in huge quantities. So for me to print in huge quantities, I needed that $5,000. Yeah. So that's why I was willing to do Kickstarter. Cause if you can't raise the money, if I could only raise 2000, why would I want to keep that $2,000? What would I do with it? I, I couldn't print the books that I was promising to everybody. So it would have been like I had lied to them and gotten their money and I wasn't delivering the product, which yeah. is kind of the idea behind Kickstarter. That's why it's all or nothing. Cause you, you need to be able to deliver what you're promising. Exactly. You can't hit a goal, then you can't deliver. So yeah, so that is what brought me to Kickstarter. I did my first campaign. We raised $7,000 for book one. And then about a year later, I did book two on Kickstarter again, and I got another 7,000 for that. And that was about the year that I quit my job, um, which actually, go ahead. I want to ask you a question because I read on your website, you quit your job and you took a train trip. Is that... did. That is just so cool for anybody <laughs> like me. I'm like dreaming of just sitting there writing all the time on the train. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. It was, and that was my dream too. And I was like, I just want to do it. I, I'm just, I, you know, I was, I was done living in Seattle. I'm just going to yeah. tell you that right now. Yeah. It, it does not matter what job you get or how much you make. You're always going to live in poverty if you're in yeah. the Seattle area yeah. and traffic. Yeah. And you just live in poverty and traffic, no matter what you do. And I was like, why, why am I doing this? Of Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> really, it's true. It's beautiful, but it is. you live in it poverty is. and traffic. <laughs> so I just, I just said to myself, if I move back down to the southern part of the state, it's a lot cheaper to live down there. Mm-hmm. I could take all the money that I'm going to save on the rent for the next year, and I could just live on a train. And so I did. And okay. I'm going to give a quick Amtrak plug right here. And I don't okay. get paid for this or anything. I'm just going okay. to no. <laughs> I love Amtrak. Oh my gosh, me too. I would go from where we live uh-huh. up to Seattle because my husband worked in Seattle a lot, so he would oh. stay. And gets because we're pretty far for listeners, you know, about three hours in good traffic um, mm-hmm. from Seattle. And so I would go on Amtrak to go up to see him. And I loved it because you're it. seeing places you don't normally see when you're on the highway at all. 
Oh yeah, it goes through all sorts of places. The plug I was going to do is actually for the credit card. Oh, that's cool. They, they give away so many bonus miles when you open up an Amtrak credit card. You can actually just travel the whole country pretty much for free. Oh, that's so very that's what cool. I did. Yeah, so I actually opened two, which I don't know if you're supposed to do that, but I did. So um, <laughs> I opened, yeah, it did. It opened two and I got so many bonus miles because they were doing a promotion at the time. I honestly did the whole country for free. And what I had done ahead of time was I just got on Facebook and I was like, Hey guys, I just quit my job and I'm about to travel the whole country by train. So who's got a couch and where are you? And I just went across all of America and I stayed on couches of, it wasn't like total strangers. It was either people that I knew or friends of the people that I knew. So, you know, we kind of had like a little bit of trust there ahead of time. I wasn't just showing up and crashing wherever, (laughs) but that is what I did. I, I was on the train, like a trip from Seattle to Chicago, I think is, I believe it's four days if I remember right. So I would take the train like from, well, we're closer to Portland. So I'd take it out of Portland and then yeah. all the way over to Chicago. And then I'd take like a bus from Chicago to Nashville. Oh, and cool. like, I'm just going to say as much as I love Amtrak, I hate the bus. I will yeah, never the buses, the, bus the buses are not great. It's, oh, it's terrifying. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's, stinky and yeah stinky and just (laughs) sketchy and you just really aren't even sure if you're going to make it to your next destination so true (laughs) (laughs) so I don't recommend the buses but I love the train Mm -hmm. um so yeah I just traveled and I just wrote my third book I just sat and they've got this lounge car in every single train where Mm -hmm. all the cross-country trains have them where they've got huge windows that like are go up above the ceiling of the train and you can just watch as like the huge cliffs go by when you're going through Utah and these gorgeous red canyons and you can see like I I went to Arizona and Arkansas and the east coast and Chicago I just anywhere that somebody had a couch that I could stay on I would stop and I would see what there was to see we were going through these massive caves and like just all of these cool things that were such great inspiration for writing and then I get back on the train and go to my next destination and I write the coolest cave scene you've ever heard of the next place so that's what I did for about a year I I had the travel bug bad and that finally quenched it was like I can imagine travel on the train yeah (laughs) that that finally took care of it a little bit I was like okay I I can rest for a little while now (laughs) but Then um, because I'd had that year of time to write the book and to really focus on just being a full-time author, um, my next Kickstarter campaign, you know, my first two had made seven, my one for book three made 10,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was super exciting. And that was right around the time that I discovered events and shows. I did my very first show, um, which was, it was a little 4th of July festival that's here in Longview. And I I went out and I sold my books. So if anyone ever comes to that, I will be there every year because I Oh, you mean the one that's right behind my house? Uh, Probably. (laughs) I didn't know you were selling books. I didn't, I don't go over to what we call the gypsy side to go look at every. That's me. I'm on the gypsy side. (laughs) Find you then. That's hilarious. I, I have a purple tent. I'm considering changing it to blue, but look for either blue or purple. Oh, that's and, so awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I went to that event and I just, I was like, I don't know if this is going to be good or not, but I brought a couple boxes of books and everyone was like super excited about them. Yeah, and I yeah. just, anyone who would come by, I was giving away little packs of bubbles too. So any kids that would come by, I'd give them a little pack of free bubbles that said Secrets of the Tally on them, which is the name okay, of the Okay, now book. I distinctly remember my daughter's 
came back and told me there was an author that you were there this last year, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah my daughters came because I don't, we don't really leave our backyard. Our backyard literally is you go out the alley and you walk down to where the fireworks are at. So oh my I gosh. in our yard and barbecue and all the kids, you know, they don't live with us. So they all yeah. have their friends and their boyfriends, oh, whatever. So and they fun. park here and we just do all the barbecuing. Uh-huh. And then the minute the fireworks start, my husband and I walk out the alley and we go right in front of where the police officers stand because it's the, nobody's standing there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Stand right there. Watch the fireworks and we come back. So I don't go venturing out, but my oh daughter, and one of my daughters came back and says, mom, there's an author down there. You need to go check it out. And I never even got out of my That dad. is so funny. That was me. hundred percent. That, awesome. that was me. Good for was, you. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if it would go well and it actually went great. It was so awesome because, you know, these are my local people. There were so many people I knew who were stopping by and they just buy books and then I kind of tell them about book three coming up. And so that's part of the reason that the book three campaign went so well was I just started kind of trying to do a couple shows and see like, you know, I started to get the name out there and I get people on yeah. my email list. And so I kept their information and then emailed them when Kickstarter was happening. Yeah. And that's why that next Kickstarter did so much, you know, 10,000 instead of 7,000. Yeah. Well, yeah. I did that for a year. So I, I had so much fun at that show. I promptly signed up for every show that would possibly take me. That's and awesome. so I did, I don't know how many shows I did last year, like 20, 30, but like I, I try to have a show every single weekend. And so I would go out, I would do all of these events. I'd collect all these emails. And then with book four, I ran the Kickstarter for it. And we jumped from $10,000, which was amazing on book three, book four made $17,000. That's awesome. So let me, let's define shows just a little bit for those that are kind of confused. So they're events or they're like maybe comic cons or um, those kind of event, large events too. That's exactly How do you find them? Do you just think about it? And like- no, I, you know, it's a lot of research. And honestly, it, I consider it one of the most difficult parts of my job is mm-hmm. scheduling shows, organizing them, making sure you've got all the payments made. Some of them want insurance. Some of them need to pay for parking ahead of time. So to juggle all of that and keep those all straight and organized, I consider one of the most difficult parts of what okay. I do. But that is pretty much my whole income is yeah, shows yeah. and events. So, you know, we're, we're talking, we are in, in the time of COVID right now. Yeah, exactly. This. You, your calendar was booked. Cause I remember was, when mm-hmm. I found you in February, you were doing, um, over in, and Castle Rock, you were doing one of your book opening, you know, uh-huh, yeah. And, and, um, and we went, I went on your calendar and I, you were solidly booked. Yeah. So now you're not. Right. Yeah. That, and that was a blow. That was a pretty tough blow for me to handle because, you know, not only is that my whole income, but a lot of those shows weren't able to refund you because you have to oh, pay no. in advance. Yeah. And some of them are extraordinarily expensive. I, um, I had one down in Anaheim, California, I was going to, and it was a $2,000 booth fee. Oh, so, my yeah. So you have to pay those all in advance. So to have multiple months of shows, and like you said, I was absolutely book solid and it was and it was things like comic cons you're exactly right but it, it's it's really anything I'll go to craft shows I was and ask really, you, you're not specifically targeting your genre or book events like no and I'll tell events. you exactly why because my my absolute joy and passion in everything that I do is when I'm able to reach people who are not readers who would mm-hmm. not normally do this if they're walking by and I have a pretty cool booth set up so a lot of times they'll kind of stop and look at it and I'll start talking to 
to them, they're like, oh, I don't like to read. I'm like, well, let me change your mind. And so, you know, those are my absolute favorite stories is it's, it's not always the people at the comic cons who are necessarily into my genre or even into reading at all. It's anywhere that I can reach like those middle school aged kids and just convince them to give it a try. And then I get those emails from them a couple of weeks later. That's like, Hey, I've always hated reading, but I just read your book and now I need the second one and now I want to read and I just feel like I have accomplished something. So I actually don't, I actually, I would say actively try not to go to events where it's like just authors or just readers. I am trying to get out to everyone who has never wanted to pick up a book. So I need to go anywhere. So those two things that I find with that, that approach, A, it's incredibly brave. (laughs) (laughs) You're a very brave person. And that's, I mean, if you guys aren't hearing it, she's just like gung-ho, brave. It's astonishing. And it's catching. So I love it. Um, And B, it's really, really smart. Because when I've been to a couple of author events just with friends in Mm -hmm. specific genres, and it's miserable. I'm just like, I would never pay the money to go to a genre book event because there's like you're sat you're sitting with saturated market Mm -hmm. and so to even get noticed by a reader walking by you have to be three times better than all 50 60 70 80 authors there that's exactly right and I don't know I'm too much into competition I can't handle that kind of pressure right so how you're doing I have had a lot of authors that I've known that have been in specific genres that will go to comic cons or or -hmm. conventions and they do exceedingly well in those Mm -hmm. conventions. And so um, I'm excited to hear how you're doing it, but you're not just picking that. You're also going to schools, what I understand too. Yeah. So tell us so, a little bit about that approach because I love, love, love that approach. <laughs> oh, that, and you know what? That is something I really kind of started doing this year. And in, in the past years, I've gone to like my own home school of Kalama. You know, I, I've done Castle Rock because we do our big launch up there. Yeah. But this is the year that I actually really started going. I just put out a call on my mailing list and I said, hey, anyone with teacher friends, let them know. I'm going to come to their classroom if they want me and I will give the most the coolest motivational speech we'll talk about books and I will get their kids excited to read and I do and it's and one of the cool things is like I get to go all over the place so I'm going to like low-income schools where a lot of the kids don't like to read but they come there is you know you can't change everyone but there is a good handful that come away from that talk and pick up the book and actually enjoy it and then want to pick up another book and so you know I don't uh I hesitate to say this because this could change in the future, but at, at the moment, I don't actually charge fees to go to yeah. the school. I just, I just go and I take, you know, I take my pride in knowing that I've affected a life and had a good time doing it. Yeah. Um, and then the way that I make the money is just by selling the books afterwards to the kids. Yeah. Yeah. So that has worked out for me so far in the future. It's possible that we'll start adding in those fees once like once I've got the schools clamoring for me and all yeah, want me exactly. to at the same time, maybe we'll visit that. But, but there's also I, an aspect of giving back to the community that is so valuable, regardless of, you know, you're going to find lifelong, in some industries, they call it lifelong customers. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it just lifelong friends that when you're giving to the community, it helps to build your um authenticity, which is so important. Um, And what we're really talking about is you building this platform. Yeah. The author platform that everybody you hear as authors here, you have to have an author's platform. You have to have this, you have to that, you have to be on social media, you have to do this and that. The one thing that I like about you is that you're not on social media a ton. 
Um, mm-hmm. I am, unfortunately. <laughs> Cove is changing that a lot with me though. But you're yeah. not on that much, but you're on just enough. But I think the way you built built your platform is a lot of face-to-face interaction. And I'm absolutely like, correct in that. It's, that's just what I found worked for me. You know, I, and I do, I, I've gone through phases where I I hit the social media really hard and like, I would Instagram every day and I'd be super interactive with everyone on Instagram. And like, I'd send free books to Instagrammers who had really cool Instagram accounts and I could see the return on my Kickstarter campaigns. I can see how many people are coming from Facebook, how many are coming from Instagram, how many are coming off my email list. And it was always, so I had always done Facebook. So on my first couple of campaigns, most of my people came from Facebook. I really didn't even have a mailing list. Um, Facebook was kind of my big thing. And then I did a year of hard Instagramming of like, I was on that trip. I was on the train. So yeah. every time I was in a different place, I'd take a picture. Which is perfect on- for Instagram. Like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Yeah, it was awesome. And so, yeah, I know I had content constantly. <laughs> it was awesome. So I hit Instagram really hard and that campaign that was for book three, I had three times more followers on Instagram than Facebook. Facebook still came out with three times more revenue than Instagram. Yeah. I kind of get that feeling. I, cause I've been very heavy in, um, social media in the last six mm-hmm. months, like super heavy. And, uh, and I do enjoy it though. Um, yeah. if I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Um, but I have found there's a different uh, approach to Facebook and a different po- approach to Twitter and a wholly different approach to Instagram. And there's different individuals, like mm-hmm. how they respond is completely different. I haven't formulated all of that because I'm not making money on anything yet. Yeah. But that's not why I do it. I do it because I love it. Yeah. Um, but I have found the reactions are so very different in, in each category. So it doesn't surprise me that your Facebook followers are going to be the ones that are going to translate to the dollars versus right. Instagram, which is, yeah. I love my Instagram community and I love my Instagram, but I'm not counting on them to be picking up my books. Anytime. Nope, they are not your buyers. It's just, no. they're just not. No. <laughs> You know, I could see, I definitely had more Instagram buyers than the year previously, but not enough that I would justify going as hard into Instagram as I had the year before. But then that next year is when I did like my first full year of shows before book four. And that's, you know, that's when we saw the jump from a $10,000 campaign to a $17,000 campaign. When I, when the numbers came in for the book four campaign, I had, you know, Instagram was, I had not really invested a lot in Instagram that year. So dismal, just abysmal, like hardly anything on Instagram. And then Facebook, you know, pulled in good numbers like always, but my email list, I think tripled Facebook. So it was those face-to-face people who I'd met, who had shaken my hand, who had gotten to see me in person and hear the story and hear, you know, just have a real investment in it. That is, I can quantifiably say that is what has worked for me is the face-to-face you know, interactions. And so with this whole quarantine, I, oh man, it was just, it was so hard. I just, I started getting in cancellation after cancellation. First was Emerald City Comic Con, which you would have had to convince me the world was ending to ever believe Emerald City Comic Con could be canceled. That is a hundred thousand. And it's probably canceled first. It was, that was the first to go. Yeah. Emerald City and then WonderCon down in Anaheim. I was so excited for it. It was actually, I've never been to Disneyland. And so oh. that was going to be my very first trip to Disneyland. We were staying right across from the park. Um, WonderCon was the next to go. Savannah, Georgia Comic Con was 
came shortly after. And then I had like a, a women's show in Vancouver. I had, I think, three school visits that all had to cancel in a row. Uh, there's a Harry Potter event that is one of my favorite things in oh. the whole world. And that canceled. Oh. Oh. I just lost the fairy festival in Tacoma. There's a cherry festival in the Dells. And they, every one of them had to get shut down. And it, yeah. you know, it, for a little while, it was pretty devastating. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was so, it's, it, it was really tough, but I have a project going on right now that I had at least one normal thing to cling to and all of that. And that mm-hmm. is that I've been doing a kid's book actually. So my whole series has been young adult and it's fantasy, but book four, when it came out, it has a puppy on the cover oh. and this puppy is like the star. Anyone who comes by my booth, that is the number one thing they see is the puppy on the cover of book four. So I've had this idea just rolling around in my brain for a year or two now of this puppy needs his own book. And so in November, December of last year, I started like putting out the call to hire artists of, I want an illustrator to do a full kids book. And I just found the most amazing illustrator in the whole world. Her her name is Angelique Moden and she lives here in Longview also. Oh no, really? Yeah. We met at a show. We met at a bazaar. It turns out we are actually like just a couple of streets away from each other, but that's just crazy. Cause I know I'm in Longview. I've been here for, I don't know how long. (laughs) I'm like, I didn't know you guys were around here. <laughs> I know there's wild talent in this I'm area. Tons and tons. <laughs> yeah. So we ended up, we met at this really small little elementary school bazaar when we were selling to the Christmas crowds last year. And you know, I, it was funny cause I kept like peeking over at her booth and it turned out later I found out she kept peeking over at mine because she's always <laughs> wanted to be a children's book illustrator. Oh, that's so, awesome. uh, so yeah, so we have that going. So actually I have another Kickstarter coming up and I believe this is going to, this uh, episode will release in June, which is going to be, I can just say it, my Kickstarter should be going like right now. (laughs) It is coming out in June. So Mm -hmm. listeners jump on Haley's Kickstarter. Be a part. So great. It's going to be really fun. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, and it's, you know, this is a real time of uncertainty because of the whole COVID has, it, I know our economy is really going to be hurting. Yeah. So I don't know what to expect. I don't know if, if we're going to, this could be my first failure. I don't know if, if we're going to do really well, if everyone wants to rally together and support their local author. I, yeah. I just yeah. don't know what to expect out of it. But I know that I have a really good base of people who want this book, who are really looking forward to it. And so I've had a lot of conversations with people about, gosh, should I delay it? Should I push it back? Should I do this and that? But, you know, with all the stuff getting canceled and delayed, I didn't want to to do one more delay in everybody's yeah. life. Yeah. This is such a fun, uplifting book. It's something, it's puppies and baby dragons. Oh and gosh. Cool book. I know, right? So oh. like, we need this. The, the world needs this in this time of uncertainty. So we are going to actually go forward with the Kickstarter campaign Good. for the whole month of June in this glorious year of 2020. <laughs> and yes, 2020. I was telling everybody the beginning of 2020. 2020 is my year. Oh, I no. Gonna, I was going to launch um, my online courses for authors. Um, oh. And I was going to launch my services for authors to help them research. And I had everything all ready to go and pretty much... Just in March, I got hit not only, you know, we got hit with the COBA, but I also work full time with students all over Washington State in an online university. And so um, they were all enrolled, ready to go. And literally, 
I turned from a um, academic advisor to an emotional counselor. And so the first two weeks when this got started, it was just horrendous. And um, I was having students that were sick and I was having, you know, just, and I communicate with them every day. I I communicate with a a handful of them every day. And, and so the first, I got hit with like three weeks of solid stress headache. I couldn't write, I couldn't do anything. And I'm like, I just got to pause. I'm, I'm at that state where I have to pause. And um, I was a little nervous that my creativity was never going to come back. And I met with um, our writers group. I have a writers group I attend and we meet every two weeks. Mm -hmm. And the first two we've done, I've hosted them here on Zoom and had to teach a couple of them how to use Zoom. It was really cute. (laughs) (laughs) And then, but I haven't been able to contribute. I've been able to give them any of my work because I'm just like, I can't creativity right now. It's starting to come back. Yeah. Goodness, you yep. know, as things, it feels like um, we're kind of all settling into this new norm, but there's still so yep. much uncertainty, especially for artists and writers. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of my writer friends had all of the conventions that they had set up for spring. Spring's a very heavy time for conventions yep. and to go sell and we're all stopped. <laughs> and it's just yep. like kind of scary. <laughs> so, but I'm really glad you are keeping going. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and I, I do think we all went through that, that, that period of one to two weeks of just who, like I got nothing. I I'm, <laughs> there was not much writing going around, going yeah. on around here for a little while. Well, let's jump into the series and kind of give yeah. us the genre. Tell us a little bit about the backstory. And then um, I'm dying to hear what you want to share with us. Our My listeners love the readings. It really hooks Good. them in. So, um, so definitely, you know, set up what you can share with us. Yeah. And um, and then I'm going to go ahead and let you go and, and do the reading. All right. Perfect. Well, so I've got my... Uh, my series Secrets of the Tally, and it's going to be five books in total, not not including this little kids book spinoff that's coming out soon. Um, so book one is called Secrets of the Tally. They're young adult in their fantasy. So you got some magic going on, but it's also a mystery. You're trying to solve the identity of both of your main characters in book one. So the first is there's, there's a girl like right on the cover and she has woken up. She's completely lost her memory. She doesn't know who she is or why she's really important. Everything is completely gone from her mind, but she finds this list of tally marks of all the lives she's saved. And now she doesn't know how she saved all these people. There's like a lot of marks on that list. Now she doesn't know. So she's got to figure out who she is and why she's so important. And there's this guy who shows up who's pretty eager to help her solve that mystery. And she's like, yeah, I don't know about you either. (laughs) So (laughs) she's got to figure out who he is and whether or not she can trust him. And she has to figure out who she is. And she's got to do it all before these monsters can catch her because she is like the target of theirs now. So it's really action packed and it moves super quick. And, and you started this when you were 12. I started when I was 12. And I, I do like to put the disclaimer on it is not still a 12 year old's writing. It's probably been rewritten about 40 times. I just um, think it's awesome that you had the idea then though. Yeah. I mean, so great. You must have been an avid reader, I would assume. I was. Harry Potter was my big mm-hmm. love growing up. But also Aragon had actually just come out around the time I started. Our two this. favorite books in our house are kids. Oh, really? was like huge. My yeah. so my daughters were reluctant readers. Amazingly enough, my daughters, uh-huh. I don't know how that happened, but, <laughs> and so we started, we, we kind of dabbled in Harry Potter for a while, but Aragon was the series that yeah. really kicked my, my um, oldest who now she's 
amazingly creative and she does uh, a lot of Dungeons and Dragons and World Oh, that's funny. Amazing. And that's the book that her and I read together and I'm like, oh, she just fell in love. Dragons were her thing. (laughs) Oh, good. Yep. So, but the kid who wrote it was 15 and I was like, if this kid can write a book, I'm 12, I can write a book. Exactly. It was almost that spirit of competition that like drove me of like, well, I'll get it out before he ever did, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But I did not publish till I was 23 and I never, ever set it down for even a month between 12 years old and 23 years old. I always, always, always was working on it and trying to better myself and better my writing and, you know, figure out how does you get published. And I think it's really awesome that you, uh, we deviated once again. Um, but I think it's really awesome that you also went to college, but I, I'm fascinated that you didn't go to college for a master's in fine arts. I think that's really intelligent. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, downgrading those programs at all. I'm a higher ed girl. I have Mm -hmm. a master's degree, double master's degree. (laughs) I love higher ed. But I also found that a lot of my writing friends that have gone through a master's of fine arts, they really struggle with creative writing. I mean, like they really really struggle and they struggle with continuing. And sometimes the feedback that they've gotten in those programs have been so harsh that they can't receive feedback. It's just like untangling a lot of stuff. So but yeah. you got a business marketing degree, mm-hmm. which is the one weakness almost all authors have it because is. authors now, even if you get a, from what I understand, even if you get a publishing deal and you have an agent, you still are the main marketer of your That's work. That's absolutely the truth. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have so much stuff that you're, you're doing that has it, was it lent from that marketing degree? Is that how you, how do you function? A like lot that? of it is, you know, like, there's always, there's so much that went into that, that I am so grateful I had. It's everything from like the finance classes that I had to take to like knowing more about like how to do business taxes and entrepreneurial things, like how to get a business license and business law. And, um, gosh, what else? Marketing psychology, I think was one of my favorite courses I ever took. Cause that was like, what, what makes consumers want to buy? What, yeah. Yeah. Like what are, what are the factors? And so there were so many courses that helped me so much. And, you know, I still took creative writing courses. Of course you want to do that too. I actually got a minor in English, Um, but nobody needs a piece of paper that says you're a creative writing major to be able to write a book. It's actually probably the last thing you need because that just means you've been taught to follow the curriculum or or follow the core. And, you know, like you said, I'm not trying to put down anybody who decided to go that route, but anybody who comes up to me at any of my shows and says, I want to be an author. I say, okay, what do you want to go to school for? And they'll say, well, well, probably English, right? Like creative writing. And I go, no, that is not what you want. (laughs) You want to learn. Anyone can write a book. You need to learn how to sell your book because if you want it to be your career, you want, that is the part you need to learn. You need to learn how to make it your career and teach yourself to write. Still take those classes, still go to creative writing, but you, if you want to be an English teacher, if you want that to be your day job, then yes, that is when you go for the English degree. And then I'm all for it. If that is what you want to be the day job while you're doing like you know, while yeah, you're doing side hustle, we call it side exactly. hustle in our house. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Then, then you can go for the English degree. That is the only time though, any other time. And I, I have a funny story. We were in, um, 
so to get my English minor, I had to take this big English class with like all the other English majors. And the teacher went up to the board and he goes, okay, what kind of jobs can you have with an English major? And the very first thing that shouted out is barista. <laughs> and <laughs> everybody true, laughed. though, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> we all laughed because yeah, it's the painful truth, right? <laughs> and then the second, of course, is the English teacher. English teacher. So if those are the two things you want to do, then go for it. But if you want to make writing your career and college is still in the future for you, I say across the board, you go and get your marketing degree or some sort of business degree because the college of business covers everything. They will cover finances and entrepreneurship and they'll, they'll give you a good dose of everything. And you could, I mean, you could put your, your major into any course in business. It doesn't have to be marketing, but you want that business. That business degree is what's going to help you do it. Absolutely. Well, I hope that in your future, you develop courses for authors on how to market <laughs> yourself, because I think, I think you, you, you're infectious for one thing. And I think that you're, you're really smart at how you're doing it. And, and what you're really talking about for authors is really building a platform. And, mm-hmm. and that's something I, I hate when I hear that word author platform. I'm like, what does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. break it down for us. Tell yeah. us, you know, so, so good. Okay. So we already talked about book one yep. and then I'm going to be quiet so you can move forward and we can get to the <laughs> meeting because you and I, I think are need to get together and have coffee. And I have know. Coffee. I know. We have so much to talk about. <laughs> we do. <laughs> We're so close. Yeah. Well, Maybe a couple months, but we'll make it no, out. kidding. <laughs> um, so with, with book two and three and four, I can't actually tell you too much about them without oh. spoiling because book one is that big mystery, right? And once you figure out who your main character, Allie, who she is, and why it is she's so important and how she saved all these lives, that is what unlocks the whole can of worms for the rest of the series of of how it turns into five books. So book two, I can just, I'll give you kind of a little hint about it. So book two is called Catching Epics. So I can tell you what an epic is. So everybody in the world gets a power. Um, Well, not everybody, you know, like kind of like a handful of people are born with powers, but you only get one power each. So you might be able to control fire or ice or lightning. It's, it's kind of like, like think X-Men, like everybody just kind of has one specialty. Right. Um, but there is one kid born in every generation who gets all the powers and they're called an Epic. So they're going to be like, they're kind of destined to be like this big, amazing superhero. Right. So the problem is there's one born on the human side and there's one born on the monster side. So there's really two epics in every generation and they're actually destined to grow up and be these amazing combatants. And like, they're up in the sky throwing lightning at each other. They're very, very cool. But catching epics is about, they're still pretty young. And so in book two, it's about kind of trying to track them down before they are super mega powerful and they are the only two who can cancel each other out. So that is kind of a little bit of book two. And then book three is called a deal for three and book four is called to wear the cloak. And that's the one that has the puppy on the cover. (laughs) And if you guys ever want to visit my website, it's called secrets of the tally.com. And you can see pictures of that cute little puppy and what's and, going on. And the website's it. wonderful and it will be in show notes, everyone. So, you know, Perfect. You're, you're probably not driving down I-5 listening to this right now. Hopefully <laughs> <laughs> at home. So pop that on the website and look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So take a look. And since it's June right now, I'll have links on there to the Kickstarter campaign. So awesome. that'll be really exciting too. Um, but yeah, that is kind of the series. And then there'll be a book five is going to be the very last one. Um, but in the meantime, I have the kids picture book coming out. And I also am going to do a prequel this year of everybody's favorite monster character. It's going to awesome. be from his point of view. So it's going to be very fun. Well, let me ask you this quick question before you do your reading, Haley. Mm-hmm. When you started the story idea back in at 12, did you know it was going to be a five book series or did you know it was going to be a series? 
I I think I suspected three books when I very first started. I kind of had an idea for where I wanted to go with it. Honestly, the idea that I had when I was 12 years old is not even remotely (laughs) even related to the way that it went. It was a million, 180 degrees, a million percent different. It was not at all what, it didn't end up at all the way I thought it would. But I think in the beginning, I suspected three books Um, For a while, I had three books planned. And then when I was in college, I had a creative, um, what was it? It was young adult literature class. And the final project was that you had to write the beginning chapter of a book. And I was like, well, you know, I don't want to just submit my first chapter of my first book. That's an easy A. Right, I know. So (laughs) what I submitted was I wrote kind of like a a different character's point of view from the story. Because there's, in book one, there. And and the book two that I had planned at the time, there's like a second set of characters who is equally as amazing to the to the main two in the series. And I was like, gosh, what if I wrote one from their point of view? And I wrote the first chapter of it and I brought it to my class and everyone was like, like, where's the next chapter? I have to keep reading this. It's so good. And I was so in love with it that I was like, oh my gosh, I have to write from this character's point of view. And I like, so I didn't want to get rid of my original characters. So I actually ended up tying them together. But the, the two new characters added so much content to that three book story that I thought I was going to be doing that I knew immediately I had to make it into five. And it actually works out really, really well because Secrets of the Tally, um, you'll, if, you, if you take a look at any of the covers, there's like a hidden set of tally marks in all of them because the whole series is about tally marks, right? Yeah. So I have been doing this and nobody has known this, but on the side of every single book, it says one, book one, book two, book three, and book four. And if you look back on the very first book I ever published, you, you'll finally notice now that book four is out, they're actually tally marks. Oh. So it, it looks like Roman numerals if you're not thinking about it until book four comes out and it's four hashes instead of an IV. Yeah. And then book five is going to be that full set of tally marks with the one, two, three, four, and the slash. Nice. So it's just going to be, it's going to look like it was complete and absolutely made to be like this from the very beginning. So I knew at that moment it was going to be five and I have had that plan to have the tally marks on the side of every book since like I knew it was going to be five books That's so awesome. years ago, 10 years ago or something. <laughs> okay. Authors of the Pacific Northwest listeners, you heard it first. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> That's really, really cool though. I love it. Yeah. So there's a lot of fun, like hidden details and I, I take a lot of pride in all the details. Yeah. I love it. Okay, so let's set you up for your reading. All right. Um, share what you need to share prior to the reading to get us in the story or however you're going to do it. I'm going to go quiet. All right. <laughs> so I'm actually just going to start at the very beginning of book one. So I don't have to share anything. I'll just get you right in there and hopefully you guys enjoy. Awesome. All right. And if you do have a book in your hands, I'm, I'm flipping to the first page right now. There's a really cool map at the front. <laughs> so check that out if you end up buying a copy. You can actually, I am going to throw this in real quick. You can buy copies of the books on my website at secretsofthetally.com just in case you decide you need one. Um, even like during this Kickstarter craze and everything, you can still buy them on there. Nice. Let's get into this reading okay. though. So we'll start with the prologue. Sometimes when the sky was cloudless and the birds sang loudly enough, Margaret forgot that strolling wasn't allowed. A light breeze and a warm day were almost enough to make the forest seem harmless, and so she followed behind the two kids in her care without any sense of urgency. In fact, she found herself smiling when she realized they were holding hands. Eleven seemed a little young to her, but the kids had been best friends for years. She'd known this was coming. All was peaceful until a shrieking scream echoed from ahead and froze all three of them to the trail. Margaret quickly hissed, back to town, now! This was her worst nightmare, made even worse as her son took off toward the danger. 
His best friend, Ebby, darted after him, and Margaret was the only one left rooted to the ground in shock. This couldn't be happening. If there was an Ascali ahead, it would rip them apart. Rachuan, no, come back, she cried, forcing her limbs to pursue, suddenly sprinting as only a panicked mother could. A blonde teenaged girl sobbed and coughed in a patch of wildflowers ahead, writhing on the ground as she struggled to say something. The kids reached her first, and Ebby was on her knees in an instant, trying to figure out what was wrong when there was no blood. Margaret skidded to a stop behind them, hauling each of the kids back to their feet. Out of here, now. But I think she's a mage, Ebby protested. We have to help her. Margaret used all the strength in her arms to yank both kids back in the direction of safety. Run now, and we'll send her help from town. Margaret's forceful push suddenly became a restraint to pull them back to her as an Ascali dropped down from a tree limb, a human-like monster with wickedly black hair on his head, then spikes of bone jutting from his elbows, now crouched with his sharp teeth bared. The kids pressed themselves against Margaret from either side. It would only take the Ascali seconds to kill all three of them. Chapter one. Somebody had ripped my mind open and poured black ink inside. It was an all-consuming darkness, and when I woke, I brought nothing with me except a sense of confused terror. My legs were already working frantically beneath me, crashing through forest undergrowth for reasons unknown. I lurched involuntarily to one side and grabbed an ancient tree to steady myself, clinging to the damp moss with all the strength in my fingers as my knees threatened to collapse. My eyes stung and my head ached, so I smashed my face into the soft green life, and with the cool scent of rotting wood filling my nose and calming me down, I tried to think. Something was wrong. Everything was wrong. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't even know if I was alone. Two birds began to chatter to each other overhead, and I snapped my eyes open as blood's earthy scent hit me, a smell like steel and broken stones. My blurry vision sharpened as I pushed myself back from the thunderstruck tree, and I realized my hands had left crimson stains on the moss. Panicked, I whipped around to see an aging forest I'd never laid eyes on before. A tangle of clovers and wild strawberry vines snagged my ankles as I spun, and I wrung my hands fiercely together in the nearest leafy bush to scrub the blood off. Each breath became a shorter gasp as reality hit me, and my weary lungs tried to match the accelerating pace of my heart. I didn't know where I was from. I didn't even know my own name. Air scraped through my throat, and I clutched a shaky hand to my neck as I spun around again, trying to find signs of danger among the ferns and wildflowers. Although I couldn't spot anything frightening in the dappled sunlight, I heard the shriek of a little girl in the distance and footsteps running towards me. My stomach twisted sharply and an overwhelming wave of frustration made me want to cry. I didn't know if friends or foes approached. I might be running from my saviors or waiting for my murderers if I chose wrong. But even if they were coming to help, I couldn't explain why I had blood drying in the creases of my hands. I wasn't sure I'd ever even seen these hands before and I couldn't answer any questions. So in sheer panic, I bolted. I didn't know what had happened, and I had no idea where I was going, but I tore through a blur of the deep green forest, trampling wildflowers and soft soil as my feet reveled in the discovery of running. My muscles seemed designed for this, propelling me forward with incredible speed, hurtling every mossy obstacle in my way. The terror that drove me also reconnected something in my thoughts, and the last few minutes of my memory flooded back in a confusing jumble. I remembered writhing in a patch of white ground flowers, unable to project more than one shriek in agony. Two kids running straight to me to help, a boy with acorn-colored hair, not yet dyed crimson in his blood, and a smaller girl with a cascade of blonde. A woman, maybe their mother, had sprinted close behind, hissing for them to leave me. Something was coming. I remembered intense pain ripping through my entire body, preventing me from so much as getting to my knees. Even now, I could still feel my, ch my stomach churning, protesting the abuse as a makeshift marketplace came into view. My feet must have had a memory separate 
for my mind to carry me here. Then my panic brought me to an immobilized stop right at the edge of what seemed to be a small village. A, a stranger brushed past me and one almost bumped into me, but I couldn't recognize one face in the crowd of browsing locals. Kids chased each other around carts filled with jewelry, clothes, instruments, and toys, but fear built in my chest the longer I stood still. I needed answers. I needed to feel safe to figure out who I was and what was going on. Allie, you came back, a man in a small hat exclaimed, sharing an aged smile that reached all the way to his large ears. He stood beneath a tent where a band of friends made a show of cooking breads and meats, juggling wads of dough and tossing pans to each other as they prepared food for a ring of onlookers. I forced myself to rasp, how do you know me? Wondering if I had just swallowed an entire briar patch. How else could speaking hurt so much? His smile waned as he saw my anxious confusion, and I noticed a few cooks setting down their work to glance over as well. The short, wrinkled man in the hat said, you were just here buying a roasted squirrel from us. I never forget a name. You said it was Allie. Another of the cooks, a suntanned girl with tightly curled hair, abandoned her position to ask, are you all right? Do you need help? I replied, I'm not, I'm not, I just, <sighs> yes. I flung an arm over my mouth to muffle a hacking cough, a horrible bitter taste coming up with it. Shouting drew the crowd's attention as a man with a bow arrived at the village's edge. There's been an attack in the woods, he told the marketplace. Margaret is dead and her son badly hurt. We spotted a girl running from the scene, straight towards town, tall, with long blonde hair. That was me, and my face betrayed my terror as I scanned for the best route of escape. The curly-haired girl grabbed my arm, boring her large eyes into mine. Do you need somewhere to hide, she asked. As soon as I nodded, she pulled me beneath their baking tent with surprising strength to hide me under a cloth-covered table. Completely concealed, I immediately pressed my face into the dusty grass and peered out to make sure nobody was pointing in my direction. I wasn't about to put total faith in the group of strangers, not when I still had two legs and the ability to breathe. The girl jumped into the air to catch a flying pan of food, and she emptied its contents onto a plate, laughing easily as though nothing was amiss. Maybe she could be trusted after all. My entire body took advantage of the temporary safety and settled into the dirt. I was about to breathe a sigh of relief when my entire situation crashed down like old-growth timber in a storm. Branches of terror drove straight through me while a thousand suffocating leaves bore pressure on my ability to think. How could I not know where I was? How could I not know who I was? My heart hammered faster with the fear of uncertainty, and I tried to calm it. Don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. I squeezed my, squeezed my eyes shut so no tears could escape but how had I even gotten here? I racked my brain looking for any tiny bit of information in the emptiness, but there was nothing to find that hadn't happened in the past hour. I curled my knees up to my chest and focused on my breathing. I only knew two things. My name was Allie and something horrible had just taken place. I grabbed the blonde tangle that reached to my waist and pulled it out of the dust so I could tug my fingers anxiously through the knots. Toying with it helped me feel real and kept me calm as I tried to at least piece the vicious attack back together. The memory was dreamlike. Small details trickled through, but never the entire picture. The mother yanking the kids to their feet, telling them to leave me, to run back to town. Me trying to agree with her as I choked and squirmed. Run, leave me. The panic in their faces as something terrifying stepped into sight. I snapped my eyes open and focused on the stuffy warm air around me, pushing the image of the predator as far from my thoughts as I could. I twirled my fingers through the hair I had managed to detangle and used my other hand to poke at the rest of myself. Hardly muscles all over, a few calluses on my palms. I wore soft leathers, probably to allow for ease of movement. Tight sandals wrapped the bottoms of my feet with leather soles, and the laces crisscrossed up my calves, built for running. Had I been running all my life? Probably. I'd have to keep running if that thing in the woods ever appeared again. That human-like creature with cloudy eyes and bared teeth, grinning wickedly at the sight of a woman, two children, and me. 
I shivered as I remembered the spikes of bone jutting from his elbows, jagged spines that could easily impale and kill somebody standing behind him. He had snapped his attention between the three standing over me with movements that were eerily jerky, like an insect. I shook my head, trying not to relive the moment when he slammed the little boy into the dirt. I tried to block the memory of a second monster ripping the woman's throat out with his teeth and that little girl screaming as they'd taken her. The cloth of the table rustled, startling me. Sunshine beamed inside, and I bolted upright as a small boy ducked into my fortress from the other side. Can I hide with you, he asked, his eyes bright from the thrill of whatever game he was playing. His gleeful smile didn't sit well with me as I tried to overcome my crisis. No, I replied, wondering vaguely what he had done to kick so much mud into his hair and onto his face. The little boy looked like the lone survivor of a great battle and like he'd rolled in the aftermath. I expected him to leave after my unwelcoming reply, but he settled onto his heels instead, frowning now. Are you even playing, he asked. I sank my palms into my eyes in disbelief. No. Well, what's wrong, he asked, holding his legs across each other to make himself comfortable. I don't recognize you. Are you one of the travelers coming through today? I let out a short laugh at the absurdity of his interest, but he wasn't about to leave. I wish I knew, I told him, but something's wrong with me. Well, he pushed, what's wrong? I don't know what possessed me to tell this kid anything, perhaps because of his large inquisitive eyes or my desperate need to simply talk to someone. I found myself explaining, I just sort of woke up out in the woods without any idea who I am. And I don't know where I'm from. I don't know what happened. And I, I don't know what to do. Getting those words off my chest gave me room to finally take a deep breath, but I felt strangely uneasy. It wasn't this kid's age that bothered me. It was the fact I just opened up to him. I was putting my trust in someone I didn't know, and everything about that felt wrong, like I was breaking a sacred value. The boy nodded, giving me more attention than I thought possible for his age. Well, why are you hiding? Because something bad happened in the forest, and I think I might be blamed for it. His eyes grew wider, and he exclaimed, You're the girl the mages came looking for. Oh, wonderful. Now I had to figure out how to keep him from revealing me. Tell me about these mages, I said, hoping to keep him talking while I figured out what to do, apart from tackling him. The boy was entirely too happy to know something I didn't, and said, those are two of the mages who keep Tabriel Vale safe from monsters. I don't know their names, but one of them has the power to use fire, and the other is an ice mage. I knew mages could only have one power, so if these two wielded fire and ice, they wouldn't have any magical ability to track me down. I knew that like I knew a rock would fall if I dropped it. It was just the way things were. Are there other mages around... What did you call this place? The boy scrunched his eyebrows, confused. There are mages everywhere with the Eclipsable tomorrow. And this is Tabriel Vale. Don't you? <gasps> he gasped as understanding finally reached his eyes. You've really forgotten everything. Just about, I said, not loving to admit it. But I think there's a difference between knowledge and memory, you know? I've only forgotten names and events, faces and places. But I suspected I hadn't entirely forgotten them. In the midst of my confusion and terror, my feet had brought me to Tabriel Vale, my best bet of finding safety and answers. My survival instincts had simply kicked in to save me, and that thought was intriguing. I wondered if that was all I needed to jog my memory, a little life-threatening danger. The noise from the market began to trickle into me, and I heard the old man beneath the tent call, One baking show special, sweet sauce and sliced roast. And the whole crew answered back, All grilled to perfection, then served on wheat toast. Every order had a prearranged call and a specific response, but I focused on the conversations outside to see if I was likely to escape the town unnoticed. Most discussed money or longed for the items on display, but I also heard several kids talking. A little girl said, we haven't found Leaf yet, and a boy answered, good, let's just leave him. I glanced at the mud monster beside me and said, I'm told my name is Allie, what's yours? 
Leaf, he replied, smiling as though the name itself made him happy. I felt an immediate irritation with the kids outside for leaving him out of their fun. What else do you know about yourself? Leaf asked. Nothing, really. Did you find anything when you searched your pockets? Pockets? Why hadn't they crossed my mind yet? I plunged my hands into the small pockets on each pant leg. One came up empty. The other closed around a folded scrap of paper worth more to me than gold. I jerked each fold apart in haste, ready to find incredible knowledge between the creases. As I undid the last doubling in the paper, the dim light only illuminated a few sloppy and disappointing lines. Leaf got anxiously to his knees and exclaimed, I'm too little to read. What does it say? It says, Allie, I'm volunteering for the Eclipsable setup today with Wes, and I probably won't be back to the Dragon until it's dark. Your sister, Liz. I set the paper down and said, well, at least I know I have a sister, one who's clearly never held a pen before. And you're from the Dragona, Leaf exclaimed. That's where they train kids to become mages. They just recruited me too. And if you live at the Dragona, you must have a power or you will someday. Do you know what yours is? I barely know my name, I replied, so no. I fixed my gaze on the note in my hand, trying to connect the names with faces or images of any kind. Liz, West, the Dragona, nothing. Empty thoughts about my home and my sister just didn't jog my memories like overwhelming fear had. Leaf, when are you going to the Dragona? And how are you getting... I froze as a large pair of boots stopped next to the table. A hand lifted the cloth covering, and sunshine from outside momentarily blinded me. And that is the end of chapter one. Oh my gosh. Now I know everybody's loving your books. Those are... <laughs> What a great way to get started. I'm totally hooked too. I got to finish it. <laughs> oh, good. I love to hear that. That's awesome. So listeners, if you loved what you heard, which I'm sure you did, definitely hop on Haley's website and get the first book and get, get through the series. So you can also jump on the Kickstarter and get the, yes. what book will it be again on Kickstarter? So the one on Kickstarter is going to be the kids picture book and that's okay. going to have the puppy and the baby dragons. So you can still get all the other books on my website, but there will be a deal on that Kickstarter where you can actually get the whole series. So you could get all four books plus the puppy book. The only thing is you have to wait for them until yeah. like until they're printed. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you get them on the website, the cool thing is that money goes straight towards me. So yeah. I actually hand pack those books and I mail them out to you. So it's very fun. And they, all the boxes are packed with love. You can actually see a little video on there that shows you how it's all done i saw your uh when you got the shipment last Uh on facebook i'm like what is she doing why does she have all those books in her house (laughs) my poor house i so i have it split i have half of them at my boyfriend's house and half are at my house (laughs) my (laughs) parents house and so like it's but it's huge. It's truckloads full of books they're just everywhere they take up multiple rooms so i've got just they're everywhere. It's a disaster. I love it. I love it, <laughs> but I love it too. <laughs> it's really good. Well, Haley, thanks so much for being here. And um, I'm going to definitely want to have you back when the, after everything's done with this last Kickstarter, we can do yeah. an update, see how things are going. That'd be really fun. You want to, I mean, I've got all these ideas that maybe Haley and I need to do some other kind of workshoppy video things because she's got a lot of great insight to share with everybody. So that is so true. <laughs> and I'll talk about that off camera. <laughs> that sounds great. I can't wait. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here. You're very welcome. And thanks for having me on. I had a really good time. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. 
And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.